Here we go. 1 John chapter 4. Uh, we're going to be doing the first four verses today. Uh, however, I, as always, I like to do a little bit of a previously, uh, what we learned a couple of weeks ago. Obviously, I didn't preach last week. Uh, Major Linda did and did a fabulous job. But uh, So what we learned previously in the book of John is actually we went through the story of Cain and Abel. I'm not sure if you remember that at all, but let's jog your memory. Uh, Cain and Abel being the first brothers, we talked about the fact that sin uh, escalates by nature, that sin doesn't usually start with the big dramatic act. Sin usually starts very small and then escalates and is the thin end of the wedge for sinful activity and behavior. And so Cain didn't start by smashing his brother's head over with a rock. Instead, where he started was his heart not being in the right place. And then that escalated into anger, and then that escalated into jealousy, and then that escalated into murder. And so last week, or two weeks ago rather, we talked very much uh, about sin escalating. And so uh, I want you just to keep that in your mind as we move forward today. Uh, We're starting, like I said, in chapter 4, verse 1. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn there. And this is what God's Word says. Beloved... Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, for many false prophets have gone out into the world. And so we're just going to take a little bit of a a small time this morning, really to talk about spirits and prophets. Uh, Because if you're just reading this on the surface, it can get kind of weird. Oh, don't listen to the spirits. What's What's that got to do with anything? So we're just going to talk about this ever so much. Uh, And so when John here is saying beloved, first off, he's talking to us. He's talking to Christians. Uh, And and many times when you're reading scripture, it can be addressed to Jews. It can be addressed to Christians. It could be addressed to non-Christians. It could be addressed to everyone. This one is very specific. It is uh, being addressed to Christians. So we know that from the, the title of this sentence saying beloved, talking about Christians, he's about to instruct specifically Christians on a certain type of behavior. So this one is for us to listen to and to pay attention to. And so he says, beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see if they are from God. And I want to impart this point to you, that Christianity uh, and the Christian faith should not be spiritually gullible. Okay? Uh, We've talked about this before, that there is a certain amount of discernment that you as Christians need uh, when approaching people uh, and talking about them, uh, talking about Jesus to people and talking about Jesus in general, there is a certain amount of discernment that you as a Christian need. You can't just believe everything that you hear. And so that's why John here is saying that you need to test the spirits. And so there are people who will stand up in front of you. There are preachers who will stand up in front of you and they'll tell you something that is not scripturally sound and it's your responsibility to test what they're saying versus what the scripture says. And the the go-to guide is always very simple. If the Bible says it, it's true. If a preacher says it it, it, and goes against scripture, it's not true. It's as simple as that. Bible true, uh, preacher who's not preaching out of the Bible, not true. That's sort of the the way that we work here. Um, For us, everything that we do, everything we say is founded upon Scripture, what you find in the Bible. And if you ever get someone who stands up and says, well, the Bible says this, but I really think that we need to do X, Y, and Z, you don't listen to them. You discern in your heart whether or not someone is preaching sound doctrine. 
and by observing doctrine and conduct as well as by the gift of spiritual discernment. And so it's not just what people say, but it's also the way that they act. Now, I know this is a little freaky for some of you, that now you actually have to observe what happens in the Bible, but you also have to uh, observe the way a person acts. Uh, if it walks like a duck and it quacks like a duck, you know what it might be? A duck. Yeah, do you remember that? It, it, it's, it's kind of simplistic. But a person needs to talk like a Christian and walk like a Christian in order to be a Christian. You can get people who are very, very smooth talkers who they can talk a really big game and they know scripture up the wazoo and they know it back to front and they can recite it backwards starting in Revelation going back to Genesis. But then if their conduct, the way that they act, doesn't measure up to the standards of scripture, you're going to say that they're not Christian. Because it's not just about the way that you talk, it's also about the way that you walk. You also need to exercise the gift of spiritual discernment. Um, discernment is something that everyone has, but it's not something that everyone has in equal measure. Does that make sense? There are some people, they have tiny, tiny, tiny little drops of discernment. That's why some people like the 49ers football team. They're not too discerning. Others have a huge amount of discernment, which is why they like the Seahawks. See how that works? But discernment, while it is a gift, it's also like a muscle and needs to be exercised. If you ignore your spiritual discernment, uh, discernment uh, and you want one of those better spiritual gifts, because discernment, who really cares about discernment? That's really whatever. If you don't use discernment, if you don't exercise discernment, your ability to recognize false teachers is not going to grow. And so what you need to do is uh, you need to use the spiritual gifting of discernment to be able to tell whether or not a person is preaching false doctrine. False prophets are people who claim to speak for God but are actually speaking by demonic influence. I had a little bit of a toss-up whether I wanted to put the word demonic in there. I'm going to go with it uh, and explain it just a little bit. There are two types of people. There are false prophets and then there are stupid people. Okay? When, when we're talking about this particular category, there are people who we put in the category of false prophets. These are the ones that know what they're doing is wrong. They know what they're saying is wrong, yet they do it anyway to lead people astray. That is a false prophet and that comes from demonic influence. Now, I am not a Hollywood type of demonic person. I don't think people's heads are going to spin around backwards and you're going to vomit out split pea soup. I don't think that's the type of demonic that we're talking about. But what we're talking about is that Scripture very clearly states that there is a spiritual heavenly realm and in that realm is in a constant state of warfare between the angels of God and the demons of Satan. And they are constantly in battle at war uh, in the help and hindrance of Christians. And so those demonic influences can influence people to become false prophets who can stand up and like I said, they got a real pretty mouth, but they really can't, uh, the, the way that they walk and the way that they act is not lining up with scripture. And we're attracted to that because we are attracted to pretty things because that's what being human is about. We like shiny objects. If you don't believe me, look at the iPhone 10 that was really uh, announced this week. We really like shiny objects. It's weird. It's a weird fascination, but we like it. 
So I said there's two types of people. So there are false prophets who do it deliberately, but then there are also stupid people. Now, that's a little bit harsh. So let's break stupid people into, again, two categories. There are people who are doing it from the right motivations and people who are doing it from the wrong motivations. The wrong motivations are the people that I've classed into the category of stupid people. These are the ones that are like, you know what? I've memorized X amount of scripture and so I'm going to be able to argue with every single person and I'm going to bring this point home and I'm not going to listen to anyone. I'm just going to go, 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 go because the Bible says here, here, and here that I'm allowed to argue. Those types of people. Are you with me so far? We, we, we know those types of people. Um, those types of people are, are really horrible to get along with. I don't like those types of people. And then there's the other type of silly people who are uh, lovable in heart, but maybe uh, they haven't put the connections together yet. And, and they're, they're over here, but they can do a little bit of damage by themselves. Let me, I want to really explain it and, and tease out this concept over here. Yesterday, uh, my doorbell rang, and there were two people that came to my door. They had a, a, what I think is a Bible open. And I opened the door and they said, we'd like to share with you some positive thoughts for the day. And I said, well, I need some positive thoughts because if anyone knows me personally, I'm not a positive person. I am a glass half, uh, glass half empty type of person. So I thought, you know what, I've got a couple of minutes. Let's get some positive thoughts. These couple of people started with Jeremiah 29.11. Now, you and I have been friends for about a year and a half now. Uh, you know my opinion on Jeremiah 29 and 11. I love it as far as Bible verses go, but it is always taken out of context by Christians. Jeremiah 29 and 11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to uh, prosper you, not to harm you, to give you a hope and a future. And then if you read the rest of the chapter, God says to Jeremiah, tell the people to settle down, marry, plant crops, because you're all going to die. That's how that verse ends, in case you're wondering. And so I always find it interesting when people lead with, I've got a positive thought for you. I know the plan's like, okay, good, wonderful. That's a positive thought. I'm going to keep my opinions to myself because you guys are good. You're just going to door trying to, to talk to people. And then because they saw that I was receptive, they said, now let me tell you about something else. And they said, with all the trouble happening in our country politically and with North Korea, uh, there's this Bible verse here that says the meek will inherit the earth, and so we're going to be fine. And I thought, hold up. That's not what that means. And so I said to them, I, I, I said to them that I was a pastor. I said that I argue about Jesus for a living. It's kind of what I do. Uh, and so I said to them, you're using that verse out of context. And they said, what? And I said, well, uh, if you skip over to the rest of the book, if you skip to the back, to Revelation, for instance, it'll actually say that this earth will pass away and there'll be a new heaven and a new earth and it'll be a spiritual earth. Uh, and so when you go around door to door and you're telling people not to worry about the things that are happening on the outside because we're going to inherit the earth so it's going to be fine, that's actually not what that verse is talking about. It's talking about what will happen after the judgment of Christ. After every person has stood before God and has been judged for their actions, then there will be a new earth. And the two of them looked at me and their jaws just opened. Now, this could have happened for a couple of things. I hope this happened because I amazed them with my knowledge of Scripture. It, they could have been amazed because someone was talking to them. Because let's be honest, most of the time we just slam the doors in their faces. These people had a wonderful heart. They were trying to do God's work, but what they were doing was using Scripture out of context, which can be dangerous. Scripture needs to be used in context, not out of context. If you use it out of context, 
you can do serious damage to the kingdom of God. Now, some of you think maybe I'm, I'm a little too uh, intense on this subject, but let me explain to you why. If uh, Scripture says, uh, as an example, Scripture says that God uh, wants us to, um, to love him, to serve him, and that he is going to bless us with spiritual riches. He is going to uh, lavish his riches upon us. That's what Scripture says. If you take that out of context, now he's, the, the, the writers of Scriptures is talking about spiritual riches, uh, not physical ones. And so, but if you take that out of context and I stand up and I give you a sermon about how God wants you to be wealthy because Scripture promises you that you will have riches in God and you go out and you have to declare bankruptcy, you're going to say that Christianity let me down. Me incorrectly quoting scripture and not using verses in context can do serious damage to the kingdom of God. There are going to be people who begin well in Christianity. They sit under bad teaching or have bad Christian friends that take things out of context. And when things go horribly wrong, they're going to run away from the kingdom of God. And that's why it's such an intense uh, passion of mine that when we talk about Jesus, we do it rightly. And that's what John is talking about. He says there are going to be false prophets who are among you. There are going to be other influences among you, and you need to test them against the teachings of Scripture. Because Scripture is what we stand on, nothing else. The two, the two people that came to my door, we also got into an argument over Noah, but I won't bore you with those details. It was really fun for me. Like, it was one of those... Like, this is, we're friends now. Like, I, I, I believe we know enough, we know each other well enough for me to be able to tell you. I get a little bit of pleasure being right about things. And so when I closed that door, I was like, I am getting myself a cup of coffee and kicking off my shoes. <laughs> and I sat down on the couch, put my feet up, and I was like, that was fun. Let's do that again. In fact, I almost ran out the back door around to the neighbor's house so I could be there when he opened the door. <laughs> but I'd already kicked off my shoes, so I decided not to. This goes off the rails really quickly when my wife's not here. In today's age of tolerance... Discriminating discernment. Now, discriminating doesn't mean that I am uh, over the color of your skin or your uh, uh, socioeconomic status saying that you, know, you don't deserve something. But the statement discriminating discernment is, is just being able to say to discern something, to not just be taken away and drift off. So uh, in the age of tolerance, discernment can be viewed as being judgmental. And, and uh, I've got a couple of friends... Um, who are not church people, and they know two Bible verses more than, than anything else. They're the only two Bible verses they know. Um, the first is uh, that God gave us every seed-bearing plant. I don't know why they told me that one, uh, but that's the one they know. Um, that's a marijuana joke for those that didn't get it. Um, Carol got it. I heard her laugh, so we're good. Uh, and then the second one they know is what? Judge not lest ye be judged. It seems like every single non-Christian person knows that. And so in today's age, uh, in the age of tolerance... Now, uh, don't get me wrong. That you, to a certain extent, there are things that you need to tolerate. I tolerate 49ers fans. Like, I just said this, right? 
I tolerate their existence. I'm not saying that they have to go to hell for their, what they do, but I tolerate their existence. Uh, this is not the tolerance that we're talking about. We're talking here about spiritual tolerance and discernment. In this life, you will hear a, a lot of things, and I think I've got it on a... Uh, do I have it on a slide? I don't have it on a slide, so I can talk about it. Wonderful, I'm not jumping ahead. Uh, there are multiple religions that believe in Christ, not as the saviour of the world, but uh, about his physical existence. We will get to this actually in a couple of verses. I am jumping ahead now that I think about it. Um, but should we tolerate that point of view when it comes to spiritual matters? No, we need to be able to discern the difference and we need to be able to talk about the differences. And we do that by being educated. But in today's world, tolerance is equated to being judgmental. Now, fair note, when we're talking about context, Jesus did say, judge not lest ye be judged. But then there was a comma and, and he had another sentence after it that sort of fits together. He said, for the same manner in which you judge, so too you shall be judged. And so what he's saying is this. If you see someone stealing something and you go up to them and say, hey, you're a thief, you better make sure that you're not stealing something. If you see someone who is lying and you go up to them and say, hey, you're a liar, why are you doing this? You better not be a liar yourself. So in the same manner in which you judge a person, you've got to make sure that you're on the right footing. That was what his point was. He was talking to the Pharisees who were being spiritual snobs and saying we're better than everyone because we know all these rules. And Jesus was saying, but you're judging people and yet you're, you're being condescending and you're being haughty and you're being uh, not good people. And if you're going to make those judgments, you better make sure you've got your ducks in a row. And so that's what Jesus was talking about. In fact, here, Jesus taught this. He said this in John 7, 24, do not judge appearance, but judge with right judgment. Don't judge the way someone looks. You don't judge the way someone smells, how much money they've got in the bank or the color of their skin. But you judge with right judgment. You judge with spiritual discernment. When it comes to spiritual matters, we firmly believe that there is a right and a wrong way. We believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, the life, and that no man can come to the Father except through him. And so if we believe that, then anyone who says anything different, we have to believe that they're wrong, which means we then have to be able to talk about it and argue about it and discern with each other about it and be able to tease forth these ideas. And again, I'm not talking about taking a Bible and hitting someone over the head and saying, you will believe this. I'm talking about getting your, yourself to a place of spiritual discernment that when you hear something wrong, you have the ability to say something about it. Moving on, because that's just verse 1 and we've got six verses to go. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist from which you have heard uh, was coming and is now in the world already. And this is what I just mentioned a minute ago. There are lots of people be that believe that Jesus was alive and walked the earth. Islam believes that Jesus was a prophet. 
They believe that he was a great man, a prophet, and a, a miracle worker, but they don't believe that he was the Son of God. And so there are lots of people who believe in Jesus without believing in Jesus. And so when we look at people, we need to make sure that they're confessing both the full deity and the full humanity of Christ. And if they're not, that's when we need that spiritual discernment. If someone stands up in front of you and says, well, I don't believe Jesus was fully human, you then need to be able to open Scripture and point to the places where it says... This is what the Bible says, that he came in full flesh, that he came in human form, uh, that he did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage, that instead became a, humbled himself and became a human, and humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. That's found in Second uh, Philippians chapter 2, uh, verse 5 through 11, somewhere in that range. Uh, and so you need to be able to do that, and you do that by reading Scripture by familiarizing yourself with Scripture and exercising spiritual discernment. And I just want to emphasize again, in this context, Antichrist literally means someone who is opposed to Christ. This isn't an individual with a specific title. This is anyone whose views and opinions are opposite to Christ. Anti literally means opposite. If you've ever put antifreeze in your car, it means you don't want your car to freeze. Verse 4. See, we're moving through quickly now. I don't know what you were worried about. Verse 4. Little children. Little children. His mindset here is to instruct people as children. Uh, this is not something that he's doing to offend. This is not something that he's doing to make himself seem like he's so great and so uh, wise, it's a term of endearment. Just so that's out there. Little children, you were from God and have overcome them. Speaking of the world, the Antichrist, uh, and spiritual deceit. For he who is in you is greater than the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Some people are going to resist sound doctrine and biblical teaching no matter what you do. This can be very difficult uh, because we are a results-driven society. We need the result. We need the end thing to happen when it's supposed to happen. Um, we need the football game to end with a clear winner and a clear loser. Right? That's how our society is built. That's how it functions. That's not the way it works with Christianity. There are some of you that are going to pour your heart and spirit and soul into another person to have it constantly returning void, to have it constantly returning unfulfilled. And that's a hard thing to do. It's a hard thing to stay faithful when you see no obvious fruit after you've been sowing into a person's life maybe for decades. But I want to 
help you understand this. That even though you might not see fruit, it doesn't mean that fruit won't come. There are people whose hearts are hard to the message of the gospel until they hit a rock bottom thing. Something that is going to completely upend their life and in those darkest moments, the spirit of God brings the light and love of God in. You can be laying groundwork for years and see no physical return from that. But when that person goes into that dark place, that foundation is still there and that's what, the, what they build on. And so I, I, I just want you to understand this. There are people, uh, the, the, it says right here, that there are people from the world who will not listen to the message of the gospel. There are people who will outright refuse to hear it until the moment that the Holy Spirit comes into their life and illuminates it for the first time. The provenient grace of the Holy Spirit that goes before the conversion. For a lot of people, it doesn't make sense to them and doesn't fit their man-centered system of thinking. Uh, we are a very self-centered and self-orientated society. Everything that we do revolves around self. And so the concept of the gospel is completely different to that because it revolves around Christ rather than us. And so that idea can be resisted easily. First Corinthians 2.14 says this, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The things of God are spiritually discerned. The things of God, understanding them doesn't come from our own intellect. It doesn't come from our own understanding and our own might or our own power. It comes through spiritual discernment. That the Holy Spirit reveals himself to us in our lives and that's how we go in Christ. Now, the Holy Spirit uses catalysts. He uses uh, Christian songs that you hear at the right moment. He uses good, sound, doctrinal teaching from pulpits. He uses the fellowship of believers and the friendships that you make in this family that we have together. He uses those things, but all revelation comes from the Spirit through the spiritual discernment. Amen? And I want to end with this. The grace of the Holy Spirit reveals the truth to the hearts of believers. It's the Holy Spirit. It's always the Holy Spirit. It's never you. When we talk about I, I get a little bit frustrated when I hear Christians say, hey, there'll be another jewel in your crown. Because uh, that's actually not from Scripture anywhere. Um, the jewels in the crown. Because it makes it sound like you're the one that got someone saved. Now, don't get me wrong, you are in the process. God used you, but God is the one that does the saving. It's always God. And so as we end our time together today, I want you just to understand this, that the grace of the Holy Spirit reveals the truth to the heart of believers. And I want to encourage you that even if you don't see fruit in a person's life, keep planting, keep sowing, keep building. 
build your relationships with people and keep planting and keep sowing. <sighs> because it can be a long, hard journey for salvation for some. But there are many people, many people who come to faith later in life will tell stories about how there was just this one person at church when they were growing up that talked to them. This is one person that was in the church and, and she talked to me, she gave me cookies, she gave me whatever. Like she was there for me. She never judged me. She never did this. She never did that. They always helped me. They always figured it out. They gave me ride homes. Later on in life, people remember that stuff. They remember you being the hands and feet in Christ for them. So maybe you won't see fruit even in your lifetime. But praise God that the grace of the Holy Spirit reveals the truth to the hearts of believers. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for the opportunity to come into your presence and to learn more about your word and your work in this world. Lord God, we thank you that true discernment comes from your Holy Spirit that you gave to each one who believes. I pray, Lord God, as we go from this place that uh, we are all able to exercise our spiritual discernment uh, more often, that we're able to uh, understand the different things that you've given to us, the different blessings that come from you. Lord, we pray right now for traveling mercies for those that have to travel after the service, and we pray that you bring us together safely again, and it's in your beautiful name that we pray. Amen. I'd like to invite Heidi up to lead us in our final.